Sisu Clinic is an innovative, doctor-led aesthetic destination where beauty meets medicine. As one of Ireland's leading aesthetic clinics, we offer the most advanced beauty treatments in the world. Our doctors will partner with you to enhance your natural beauty so you radiate inside and out. And with 14 clinics across Ireland, there's a Sisu Clinic nearby. Your evolved beauty journey starts here. Visit sisuclinic.com to book your free consultation. Down to Earth on News Talk with Amundi, an asset manager investing in tomorrow, today, to shape a better world for all. Each week here on Down to Earth, we dig into someone's green life, finding out how they integrate environmental issues into their everyday lives. But today, my guest's life has been pretty much consumed by the climate crisis since the 1990s, when he began research to reconstruct Earth's climate over the past 1,000 years. Professor Michael Mann has gone on to publish more than 200 research articles on climate change and several books, including his most recent one, The New Climate War, which I'm very much enjoying at the moment. And he now joins us from Pennsylvania State University. Welcome, Mike. Uh, Thanks so much. It's great to be with you. It's great to hear you. Mike, your famous graph showing how our climate was warming exponentially since the start of the Industrial Revolution, which was warmly referred to as the hockey stick graph because of its shape, it really plunged you into the limelight relatively early in your career. At the time that you published that research in 1999, were you surprised by those findings or did you expect the media attention that it received? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't expect um, the, the the amount of attention it got. Uh, when we were doing that work, and as we were sort of preparing uh, a draft of that article, and we were taking into account the reviewer comments, um, one of the reviewers of our article said, you know, you should really um, plot the, the temperature, the, the, the global temperature, uh, along with the, the recent temperatures, so we can see you know, how unusual recent warming is in this long-term context. So originally our work wasn't even really focused on the hockey stick per se. It was a reviewer comment that um, led to us sort of emphasizing that particular result. Uh, it was published on Earth Day, 1998, uh, April 22nd. So we're coming up on the 23rd anniversary. And I think because of uh, Earth Day and because of the increased prominence that the issue of climate change was receiving at the time in the late 1990s, it was, if you'll forgive the expression, sort of a perfect storm of things that came together. Um, You know, it was the warmest year on record at that point. 1998 had been an unusually warm year. Um, uh, And we had seen, in fact, a number of uh, extremely warm years. All of that came together and it ended up, uh, I think, sort of uh, the, I think the hockey stick, that graph sort of captured people's attention in a way that the science of climate change, the sort of more cerebral climate science um, that had been published in the past hadn't quite done uh, because the graph told a simple story. You didn't need to understand the workings of Earth's climate system, the intricacies of our climate system, to understand what that graph was telling us, um, that uh, this warming we're seeing really is unprecedented uh, as far back as we could go. And so it did sort of quickly become an icon uh, in the climate change debate, and it also became a target for climate change deniers uh, looking to discredit this hockey stick, this iconic graph. 
Absolutely. I, I mean, it is a really shocking image that I still use today to communicate humans' influence on climate change. And you were only doing this as part of postdoctoral research just after your PhD. So did you welcome that kind of media attention so early in your career? <laughs> you know, um, any scientist, uh, to be perfectly honest, loves it when their work gets attention. <laughs> we, we, we do, you know, we do what we do because we think it's important and we want to share it with other people. Um, we sort of like to geek out on, on our science. It's just part of, I think, being a scientist. And so I think any scientist who tells you that they don't appreciate attention for, for their scientific work is, is, is probably not being straight with you. <laughs> um, it, it, it is gratifying. Um, but I, I wasn't prepared for you know, the, uh, the frenzy of attention that it got. Uh, again, coming out on Earth Day, and who knows, you know, the journal Nature may have sort of uh, planned it out that way. Um, published it on, on that particular date um, to sort of play into the, the media narrative, the, the coverage that climate change was increasingly getting. And so, yeah, it was, it was nice to get that attention. It was great to have an opportunity to explain my science and its implications to the public. And that was really my first opportunity to, to do that in, the, in sort of the media that, um, that, that, that arose. Mike, we've advanced our understanding of climate change a lot over the past two or three decades since you started working on this topic and because of other amazing scientists. Has climate change and its associated impacts played out as you predicted? Well, in some respects, um, it's worse than we predicted. And that's what's so sobering to us because we have been issuing this warning literally for decades now. I mean, the IPCC back in the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change back in 1995, issued the conclusion that there was now a discernible human influence uh, on our planet, on our climate. Um, there are scientists who had actually argued uh, earlier than that, James Hansen, uh, back in 1989, argued that we could already see the effect of human-caused warming. And so we issued these warming, warnings decades ago. Uh, even ExxonMobil, in their own internal documents, and I talk about this in, in my book, The New Climate War, um, in their internal documents back in the early 1980s actually referred to the potential consequences of continued fossil fuel burning as catastrophic. Those aren't my words, those aren't the words of uh, Al Gore, those are the words of ExxonMobil's own scientists. And so we knew about this problem decades ago. And it's frustrating to those of us who, who've been trying to communicate not just the science and the impacts, you describe that action by ExxonMobil as the most immoral act in human history in your book, The New Climate War. And, you know, you also mentioned that now full-blown denialism has been essentially disproved, I think, by the impacts of climate change because we're witnessing yeah. it firsthand. And you talk about this new war that involves deflection and disinformation campaigns. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, so the old war, as it were, um, which was this assault by companies like ExxonMobil um, for decades uh, who you know, uh, funded uh, front groups and organizations and even uh, hired uh, scientists with uh, impressive credentials to act as advocates for them in undermining uh, public faith in the science of climate change um, and convincing the public and policymakers that climate change um, is essentially a, a hoax, that it's not real. And this was as their own scientists in internal reports were showing that they already recognized the, the problem. Uh, meanwhile, the company actually got rid of that division. ExxonMobil got rid of that scientific division and instead you know, spent 
tens of millions of dollars in a massive disinformation campaign to discredit the, uh, the, the science and to, to discredit uh, uh, the work of scientists. So that, um, you know, that, that was the old climate war. And it's just not tenable anymore because you can't convince the public that climate change is a hoax when they see it, when they see it playing out. And, and we've seen the devastating impacts in Ireland and in Europe and in North America and in Australia, where I was last year on sabbatical during what they called the Black Summer, where bushfires uh, blanketed the, the entire continent. Um, you know, it's just not credible to deny that climate change um, is happening and that we're seeing impacts of climate change. So the forces of inaction, I call them the inactivists in the book, the fossil fuel interests and those doing their bidding, the media outlets, conservative media outlets and, and uh, politicians who, who do their bidding, they, they recognize that, um, you know, the, the old tactics don't work anymore, but they, they're not going to roll over. They're not going to give up. They still want to keep us addicted to fossil fuels. Every year we remain addicted to fossil fuels. They continue to make billions of dollars in profits. And so what they're trying to do now is if they can't stop the, the transition away from fossil fuels towards uh, renewable energy, um, at least they're going to try to slow it down. You're listening to Down to Earth on News Talk, and my guest is Professor Michael Mann talking about his green life and his new book, The New Climate War. Mike, you claim to have some tough love for climate activists. I couldn't <laughs> help but think you were talking about me, and you're saying that some of us may be unwittingly playing into the hands of climate deniers. So what would you like to see climate activists doing, and, and maybe what are we doing wrong? Well, no, it, it's certainly not you, because look, you, what are you, you're out here doing everything you can to communicate the climate crisis to the public, and that's what we need to be doing. So my, my, Thank you very much. <laughs> my, my hat off to you. Uh, and, um, you know, really, uh, what I'm talking about are, you know, there are some folks, good-hearted uh, people with the best of intentions, the, the best of motives, but they've bought into some of the unhelpful framing, framing that is promoted by bad actors. So um, we know there are some bad actors who literally are trying to convince us that it's too late to act. Um, again, because if we believe it's too late to act, then you know it potentially leads to disengagement. Uh, and so to some, you know, it, it, it's rather ironic that some of the sort of doom and despair that is being promoted, um, and I document this in the book, is in fact being promoted by bad actors who want to lead us to disengagement. They don't care how they do it. They don't care if it's because we think it's a hoax or we think it's too late to actually do anything about it. What's so pernicious about this particular tactic is that it's really focused on the very people who would be out on the front lines demanding action, people who would be pushing um, for action if it were not for the fact that they've become disengaged, disillusioned, fallen into despair. And, you know, in some cases that that leads to, um, you know, inaction, withdrawal, um, withdrawing from the, you know, the, 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 the policy debate, um, the policy sphere. Um, and so I think what's important is for us to recognize that, um, you know, the folks who, who have sort of fallen uh, for that fallacy, and it is a fallacy, let me be very clear. These doomist narratives that have taken hold are premised on some distortions of the science that are really as bad as the distortions of the science by climate change deniers. 
Uh, there's one very well-known protagonist um, in sort of the, the climate doomism movement who insists that it is too late to stop runaway warming and that we and all life on Earth will be extinct within 10 years. And by the way, he said that about five years ago. So I guess it's five years now. Um, <laughs> mark that on your calendar. That is so unhelpful, but it's wrong. The science in no way supports that sort of scenario. And unfortunately, some people buy into that. They buy into the doomist uh, narratives that follow from those uh, scenarios. And you know, and, and, and they, they have become disengaged. Um, what we need to do to those folks, again, most of them are, are, are good-hearted, well-intentioned uh, people, um, and they've sort of been weaponized by bad actors into this sort of disengagement. We've got to help them out of that. You got mentioned there that, you know, yeah. the carbon footprinting and this sort of behavior shaming around dietary and travel choices. Um, but I also recently read an, an op-ed that you wrote where you, where you said that we sometimes deal with politicians, for example, with all stick all the time and no carrots. Yeah. So how do you think we should be, as, as ordinary citizens who care about climate change, how do you think we should be engaging with our politicians? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, so, you know, no question, um, you know, uh, we have to take uh, policymakers to task when, you know, they're not representing our interests. Uh, they're instead doing the bidding of the polluting interests, uh, the fossil fuel industry. And there are far too many politicians um, in the United States. You, you've seen it in, in Ireland as well, um, uh, I everywhere. Uh, that um, have become part of the problem rather than part of the solution. And uh, it's great to see folks like Greta Thunberg. You're talking about sort of the, in, we're getting on this like individual action versus uh, systemic change. And Greta is a great example because she does try to lead by example. She does you know, try to set an example when it comes to our own carbon footprint. And that's good and that's important. We should all do everything we can to reduce our carbon footprint, but we shouldn't use that as an excuse for holding policymakers accountable for the, the systemic changes that we can't make as individuals. We can change our lifestyle, but we can't you know, uh, put a price on carbon as individuals. We can't provide subsidies for the renewable energy industry as individuals. We can't block new fossil fuel infrastructure, um, pipelines and, and coal mines as individuals. We need our politicians to do that. And so we need, sure, in our everyday lives, let's lead by example. Let's not finger point and shame each other. Let's help to set a positive example to bring everyone along uh, towards a more carbon-friendly lifestyle. That's important, but that is no substitute for holding opinion leaders and policymakers and, um, and, and influentials responsible for the policies to help us collectively transition away from fossil fuels. And, and nobody does it better than Greta Thunberg when it comes to uh, speaking truth to power and calling out bad actors who are not acting on our behalf, who are instead acting as agents for polluting interests. The journalist Bill McKibben described you in, in the foreword of your book by saying, few people bear more scars from the climate wars than Michael Mann. And reading through the decades of attacks that you've received by fossil fuel interests and their associated climate denial groups, it's really, it's heartbreaking for me to, to just read that, let alone for you to experience it. Um, and you mentioned that you thought that the fossil fuel industry thought you were easy prey, um, that these attacks might silence you. So what drove you all this time to keep speaking out when you, you could have done what a lot of scientists do, which is just 
hide in the ivory tower and and publish journal articles um and and what keeps you going and gives you hope to to keep speaking out yeah thanks well you know i'm I'm attacked so often you know i barely notice anymore um it's an old joke from the the blues brothers uh one of my favorite films um no i mean the the fact is that you know i guess to some extent it's my personality and and people who know me well (laughs) Uh, we'll, we'll probably confirm that for you. Um, I, I am sort of a, a fighter. Um, I fight back. Um, and my instinct when I was attacked by, you know, the fossil fuel industry and the front groups um, and, the, and the paid uh, advocates that they've hired to uh, attack climate science and to attack scientists like myself. Um, and of course, when we published the, po- the hockey stick curve, Two decades ago, I quickly found myself in the, at the center of those uh, concerted attacks, and and I chose to fight back. And I chose and, and I recognized that the best way to fight back, you know, it's the old adage: um, the best defense is a good offense. By being the most effective advocate I could be for the science, and for following the science, and for you know science-based policy discourse. By being the best advocate I could be for those things, um, that was really the best way to uh, push back against the attacks and the efforts to undermine my science and my credibility. And ironically, you know, my detractors sort of provided me with a platform now that I would not have had. And I have come to embrace that platform. I've come to embrace you know, this privilege that I have to be in a position to really influence this conversation about the greatest challenge we face as a civilization. So I've embraced that role. And though it isn't what I signed up for, you know, when I double majored in applied math and physics as an undergraduate, I didn't think I was signing up for a life of political activism. But ultimately, that's sort of where I found myself, and I've embraced that. And so, well, we're going to have to learn to channel some of that. If you can figure out how to bottle it too, that would be great. If you could send it over, (laughs) my thanks. We all have it. We all have it in us, um, and we all just have to find our own inner voice and our own way of making a difference. My thanks to Professor Michael Mann for letting us into his green life and for his heroic efforts to understand and solve the climate crisis over many years. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to talk with you. And that's it for this episode of Down to Earth. Thank you for listening. And thanks to my producer, Alex Rousseau, for this episode of Down to Earth. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the series on podcast at Newstalk.com or on the Newstalk app. Tune in next week and we'll find out if Ireland can bend the curve in addressing the climate crisis. But until then, stay curious.